Welcome to the Fabricator's Coach podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. This particular podcast was created from a live recording of a previous webinar. In order to protect the confidentiality of the attendees, we've gone in and redubbed some of the questions and cut out some of the conversations. All right. Um, so first, welcome. What we're going to do is a review of our March article in Sleepy Rock Gazette. Um, as those of you who have attended before, this is more of a discussion, more of a conversation than it is a presentation. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my background, I've got over 40 years experience in manufacturing and business ownership and coaching. I've worked literally with hundreds of companies in a lot of different industries, including this one. Um, I've owned my own brick and mortar business. And so those of you who are owners, I can understand how lonely that is at times. Um, I've coached a number of fab shops over the last fab shop owners over the last 20 years. And I ran a countertop shop for a few years. So I know where a lot of you are now and a lot of the challenges that you're dealing with. So that's just a quick uh, thumbnail sketch on my background. So our objective, the reason I have these webinars, I, I write these articles and, and I have these webinars to try to give you a structure to begin working on your business. I think that the more that you work on your business instead of just working in it, that then the more you're going to improve your business. The more that you do that, the closer you get to having a business that not only makes you money, but also gives you time to enjoy it. Because I really think, honestly, that you that you deserve that. I think it's important if you're a business owner to think about how to stop being your most expensive employee. Now, you probably noticed that we're recording this session. What we do is we convert the audio from these webinars into podcasts. So you can go back and listen to them. If you go to Fabricators Coach Podcast on any of your podcast platforms, you can pick these up. And for those of you who are worried, I do sometimes have people who will slip up and say something that maybe they don't want their boss to hear. <laughs> so we do go back and edit those out. We're very sensitive to that. Don't want to get anybody in trouble. So um, those will be available for you uh, to listen to. All right. So this article uh, for this month was batting down the hatches. Uh, you can go to slipperyrockgazette.net and get a copy of it, select the current issue, and it'll show up there. Or you can go to our website, fabricatorscoach.com, and select blog, and you can download this article plus many others that are out there. Um, so I'm wondering, um, how many of you are already seeing a slowdown in sales volume and or quote volume and or maybe showroom traffic? Victor, you guys still running strong? I would say that uh, I can see uh, a little bit of slowdown in, uh, you know, basically B2C or residential uh, jobs. Uh, or I would say it takes a little bit longer for the people to kind of decide uh, right now. Uh, so we could be measuring quoting the jobs on the regular basis, but not all of them, you know, going into like production as quick, uh, I guess, as it would be like last year in like B2B with the contractors and uh, builders, I think so far, um, you know, we're pretty much on the same level. But overall, yeah, I would say that, that it looks like there is a little bit of a slowdown. Okay, good deal. Um, Dan, you guys seeing any, any slowdown or are things pretty well rocking along for you guys? Yeah, we've been pretty fortunate. Um, we're, you know, pretty consistently rock, uh, moving along. Um, we've, we've, uh, I, I think we, we put money in different places, you know, six months ago to help, help anticipating some slowdowns. So, um, but I, you know, just as I'm learning this industry, I, I'm realizing that one day it's feast, it could be go from feast to famine pretty quick. So, um, so yeah, so we're pretty fortunate. We've so far so, so good this year. Uh, a little better than we maybe uh, forecasted uh, that we would do, but um, certainly um, not counting our our, our 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 chickens before the hatch per se. 
Yeah, I can understand that for sure. Anybody else have a comment? Anybody else uh, seeing any changes at all? Uh, we do both commercial and residential uh, work. <clears throat> Commercially is definitely on the uptick in Denver. Uh, we have seen a pretty big drop off in our showroom traffic since the first of the year. Normally we would attribute that to the holidays, but it just hasn't really picked up like it has in past years yet. Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing folks I work with across the country seeing really a mixed mixture of results. I've got a, a client in Central Texas, and they're just booming like crazy for a number of reasons. Um, I've got clients other parts of the country that are not doing quite as well. Some uh, market segments are are doing really well, and some are are slow. Uh, you see that Celio Stoltz is on the call. I talked to him at uh, Tice uh, last month. They do a lot of commercial work. And, and when you look at the economic cycles, residential tends to kind of lead, uh, be on the front end of the economic cycle. So if you're having a downturn, you typically feel it there first. The commercial stuff, because of the long lead times, permitting, financing, planning that goes into those, they tend to kind of trail that business cycle. So I think those are those are pretty typical. Uh, I've got uh, one client I was working with that got a phone, got a few phone calls during one week in December, and he lost forty percent of his business in one week because all of his production builders just turned the light switch off because of interest rates. But then I've heard of other clients in other areas that are actually going out and getting more production builder work. So I think there are just lots of different factors. It's not a not a and even overall um, impact for everybody, I think it varies a lot. So I think you just got to watch your own area and see what's going on. Um, you know, when you look at challenges like this, where things are up and down, things are uncertain, you're not really sure what next week or next month's going to bring. There, there are two pretty common responses to that. One is that real conservative, pull in your horns, cut costs, batten down the hatches kind of approach. And the other is to get really aggressive and figure out how to go out and take advantage of the opportunities that are going to be out there. Because those of you who have been through recessions and downturns before know that there are going to be opportunities out there. So our, our session today, we're going to talk about that first most, most common reaction, which is pulling in your horns, batting down the hatches, kind of getting ready to weather the storm, so to speak. Future articles, future webinars over the next few months, we'll talk about that more aggressive approach and what some of those activities might look like. So now let's get in kind of the details here. Let's talk about how we batten down the hatches and some of the decisions and, and uh, some of the actions we may want to take. And the first most common one is control costs. And that's all the, you know, if I can eliminate this cost, can the business still function? Uh, I recommend to folks grab uh, grab your P&L statement, your private and law statement, and start walking down through there and question everything that's there and say, okay, if I pull this cost out, can the business still function? If you're not sure, you might try it temporarily. Uh, if you can't eliminate it, maybe you can reduce it a little bit. That's something to, to think about there. Um, what are some typical costs that some of you would sit down and look at if you were forced with having to really start to cut your costs to, to keep your business in decent shape during a downturn. Celia, what kind of things would you look for? I apologize. The little one woke up. <laughs> hey, uh, can you hear me yet? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, right now, actually, because of the ups and downs, we're still going strong. Uh, we have a very, a couple of large contracts, but through the ups and downs, we got to get more diligent in, unfortunately, furloughing a few people, right? Cause it's a, it's a, a right now it's not, we're a little down, but besides that, keeping an eye every day, every week on those processes, on how long it's taking to load trucks, leave to the job site, uh, plan the fabrication and installation sequence so we can get the most out of, out of those trips. We're in the San Francisco Bay Area, just so you have an idea, plus California 
labor laws, our guys start the work in the shop, right? And we account for about a couple hours driving only, which adds a lot of labor into our, we got to watch those, those details a lot. Okay. Other than labor, are there any specific costs that you guys have taken a look at, maybe either eliminating or reducing? Um, no, we've been doing that for about a year now. And, and right now, uh, well, it's probably most people have noticed that uh, all materials went up quite a bit. And we've cut everything we could so far, actually. Okay. Good. Uh, Dan, you guys, I know, do a good job of planning and execution because of your, your previous life. Uh, what type of cost have you guys, would you guys take a look at to see if you can eliminate them or, or reduce them uh, other than labor cost? Yeah, we haven't uh, found too many to eliminate. One of the things that we did, um, different advertising um, streams that we were using, if we weren't getting a benefit out of them, we wouldn't eliminate them, but we'd reallocate in places that um, we were getting a, a larger benefit from. So uh, I think we had probably four or five different ways that we were trying to generate leads and things. And, and we streamlined those down to uh, get a better ROI on those. So that's the first thing. That, the other thing that's helped us out a lot is um, um, expenses like shop supplies. Uh, obviously, you can't eliminate those. You need those. But but we um, I think when we were extremely busy the previous two to three years, uh, we were buying shop supplies just uh what do we need? Hurry up, buy them, bring them in, throw them on the shelf and go. And uh, that's fine uh, during that time. But as things tighten up a little bit, um, we're probably more focused on the things that we purchase um, and leave on the quote shelf until we actually uh, absolutely need them or right before we absolutely need them. So just by doing things like that, we've been able to trim down a lot of our, um, you know, our cash that we would have in, in our pockets as opposed to sitting on a shelf in the form of, you know, whatever it could be, things that we need. So that's just um, a paying attention to those things is, is actually allowed us to cut that cost by about 20% per month just by um, ordering what we need and, as opposed to um, always being prepared and, and stocked like we're, you know, a grocery store. We, we kind of pivoted that to more on demand of, of our need and, and that's helped us a lot. So that's probably the biggest one that, you know, jumps out in my mind and, and making sure that we're um, uh, making sure that we're, we're not just frivolously wasting or letting some of our money or cash sit in the form of other things that's not generating anything for us. I think that's a great observation. You think about what's happened the last few years, uh, everybody pretty well experienced just a huge surge in demand with shutdowns and all the remodels that went on and people moving from, from urban to rural areas and, and some new construction. Uh, then we had supply chain issues where it was tough to get things. So you ordered, whenever you had something available, you went ahead and bought it. Didn't, didn't matter as much what the price was. So I think that's a great observation that now if you're looking at uncertain economic times, getting really intentional about, okay, so how do I, when do I let somebody get a new set of pads, you know, on a, on a polisher? Uh, how long can I make this, this saw blade last before I start having productivity problems and, and, uh, and quality problems and CNC tooling and, and the whole nine yards, everything that's consumable. So certainly tracking those shop supplies and those consumables is a, is a great way to look at costs. Anybody got any any other cost categories other than labor? Because we'll talk about labor here in just a minute. Uh, anybody got any cost categories other than labor that you would normally look at during a time like this? Well, I would say we have, um, let's say, a part of the budget going towards the um, Google Ads. So I would say probably this time, I would review how well it's working and basically how what what actually you know it brings in and then have to Victor, I think we lost you. See if that's something. Well, like you said, maybe you know if weather has any impact. Yeah. And that's that's pretty common. When when uh sales slow down, people stop spending money on advertising a lot of times. Uh, they see that as a, as a variable expense that they can start to reduce. Uh, other things people look at are, are company cell phones. You know, how many do you really need? 
Um, can you go back and re renegotiate maybe some of the plans on those phones and get those costs down a little bit? Um, you know, when you look at memberships and organizations, I'm, I'm a big fan of the industry organizations that we've got. I think there's a lot of value there. But when you start looking at the thousands of dollars that some of these have, can you shift that membership from one organization to another that maybe doesn't have quite as expensive a cost? Maybe you decide to kind of sit it out for a year or two. Those are things to be considered as well, because the real question is, if I cut the, if I eliminate this cost or if I reduce it, is it going to have a significant negative impact on how well I run the business? And I think that's that's kind of the the mindset that I would recommend you use as you start to to uh, to look at all these different costs. I mentioned going down the P and L, looking at line item by line item. I think it's even more effective a lot of times. Just take the stack of of payables that you've got, your stack of of uh, invoices that you receive for bills you've got to pay, and start looking at each line item in each one of those. Just take some time every week to to just spend an hour looking at them. You won't get through all of them necessarily the first week. But spend some time watching those and start to question, you know, how can I manage this? So that's a pretty common approach um, in in a in an economic downturn. Something that you all have already kind of mentioned is this next category, and that's preparing to lay off employees. Um, one of the things I recommend to folks, and, and of course, every, you know, I think Celio mentioned they'd already maybe done some layoffs. Nobody really wants to do any layoffs. But when things get tight and you look at your big expense categories, you can't do with less slabs unless maybe you can reduce your, reduce your inventory a little bit, but you got to buy slabs in order to make countertops. If you don't have to make, if you don't have as many orders, you're not making as many countertops, maybe you don't need as many employees. And so as tough as it's been to hire good people lately there's always in organizations there's always a, a one or two people that maybe aren't your top performers this is a good time to to take some time and decide do you want to let these folks hang around or is maybe it's a time to help them find a new work address uh, dan i see that you unmuted did you have a comment no i was just gonna kind of add something too. Um, as you were talking, one of the things that really stuck out to me about the the cost control is because um, I've we've talked about this a lot and and obviously we don't want to lose anybody, um, people. So we, we decided that we're going to look at all other avenues and and keep our employment level at the same that it is just because we like our team and feel a little bit of sense of duty towards them. So, so one of the things that we did is we looked at, uh, especially right now, and for everybody on the call, I'm sure their biggest cost uh, is material, just just slabs and things like that. So while we didn't do anything new, we probably uh, over the past six months, we've paid more attention to how many what are what our percentage of material usage is per job and um, and creative ways uh, for our team to be able to be better at using less. Uh, material on the jobs that we're doing. So, um, and that's, man, that's helped us so much over the past six months. And it didn't cost anybody a role or a job. We just kind of focused on things like that. That's such a big expense for for all of us that um, we were able to save a ton of money um, just by getting some kind of tracking and metrics and, and, and our program are just talking to him about how we're doing and giving them numbers. And, and he's pretty specific and, and a little anal too about things. So he's a perfect person for that job. And in every month he, we talk about it and he's like, what's my score and the percentage. And, and it's helped us um, reduce that just in the, in the past year, gosh, we've reduced it six or seven percentage points, which is straight to our bottom line. And it's, it's helped us a lot. And um, as the as the business owner, you know, I feel really good about that versus um, the easy quick of uh, laying off people. And, and certainly that's part of this. I understand that. But um, but before that, we, we really focused on that. And that helped us a lot where w even if we we figured out if we reduce our revenue by 30 to 40 percent, we still can keep our people um, that, that we have. We just did this this week. And that, you know, that makes everybody feel really good. The owners, at least I know it did me of not having gone through that so many damn times in the past. It's, it's nice not to have to bring that into the, <laughs> into the recipe. So 
Sorry, just something to add, add, add that um, uh, I think uh, it's helped us. And certainly I learned that because I'm brand new to this. I don't, I don't know this industry. So um, it became really apparent to us. And hopefully that helps, you know, somebody else on the, on the call. That's a great comment. Thank you. What are the, uh, you mentioned tracking some metrics. What are some of the metrics that you're tracking, Dan, that, that you feel are effective as you try to manage uh, material usage? Yeah, so so we figured out um, we have certain builders and jobs that that we use that it's inevitable on, on what we can do on or can't do with some of the material. I mean, sometimes we're going to be higher percentage than we want to be. But what we took away from that is we figured out a way to be able to use, you know, remnants and that kind of thing. The way that we structured our shop um, allowed us to it was easier for us to use partial slabs and things like that on jobs on mass you know builder jobs and that helped us out a lot um so we track we we just started doing this about three months ago we track we've been tracking it but we're starting to share it with our team every job and and what percentage of material slabs we use to the revenue and we show our team now and um so and, and we talk about, hey, low percentages aren't always good. Most of the time they are, but not always. And high percentages aren't always bad. Most of the time they are, but um, not always. So that um, so we go through each individual job and look at, hey, how do we do here? What stuck out? Do we have to remake those kinds of things? And, and we've brought just attention to um, how much how many slabs are cutting. Um, but more importantly, you know, the, the mistakes that happen in any of this, it seems it's inevitable. But everybody knows about it. So instead of taking a hammer to their heads with it, um, people are talking about ways to prevent them from or recuts. And everybody knows that, oh, shoot, we had a recut. This is going to affect that. And they see a bigger picture. And um, so kind of all of those things together, we, we talk about them as a as a crew. And the, out, the output of that meeting is what do we need to do to prevent it from happening next time? And uh, like I said, we've trimmed a lot of percentages off just just a revenue of or excuse me, the percentage of material that we're cutting. So just something as easy as that has really helped us and sharing it with appropriate people uh, has really, really helped us. Great thoughts all around. Um, those of you who are, who may be interested, one of the things I see as I look at financials for, for companies I work with is when you take your material cost as a percent of sales, if you're looking at retail sales, just kind of as a benchmark, it'll vary for your B2B, obviously. But on retail sales, a, a typical benchmark these days is roughly materials being roughly about 30% of sales. 35 is not too bad. If you find that it's creeping up towards 40, you're probably not raising your prices enough. You get it down below 30, you're doing great. Uh, I have seen some folks down in the mid-20s. That's unusual. Uh, it's also not unusual to walk into a client, a new client, start doing the analysis and find out that their materials is running 40, 50% of sales. And what that tells me is as they've gotten material price increases, they've not kept up with their sales pricing as it relates to that. So that's another area to kind of look at. Um, one thing I am hearing and talking with folks these days is obviously freight costs are starting to come back down to something more reasonable out of the stratosphere they were in not long ago. I'm hearing, and, and I've not verified this, so take this with a grain of salt, but I'm hearing from a couple of folks that apparently the distributors have placed a lot of orders for material, especially out of Brazil, and apparently there are a lot of ships on the water. There's a lot of stone on the water getting ready to hit the states, and uh, it sounds like there may be a good opportunity for picking up material at a lower cost here in the near future. So don't know if that's true or not. Keep your ears open. Uh, if you think about maybe doing a, a buy on some material, push for some negotiations a little bit, maybe some opportunities there for you. So appreciate you uh, bringing that up, Dan. It's a great point. Um, let's talk about the thing that we all hate to do, and that's lay off employees. Uh, what I like to recommend for folks, and, and you know, Dan and I both have worked for large corporations in the past, and that's usually one of the first things that, that large companies do is things start looking slow. The forecast starts getting light. They immediately start cutting heads. And that's one of the reasons that, that we're very reluctant to do this as a first move. But I think it's important now before you get in the heat of battle to put together your game plan. If things get bad enough and you've got to start reducing that cost, because after materials, your next biggest cost is typically labor. Uh, then it's it's a good time to make the plans now before you actually have to, because we're in the heat of battle. 
emotions run high, there's frustration, you're already under a lot of stress because the business is, is struggling, that's not the time to make those kind of decisions. Make them now while you've got some time to think through them with a clear head. And what I mean is think about at what sales level do you need to start doing that reduction? Decide who goes first and why. One of the things that can be a big help, and this is a, a more of a help to large companies, but still can be a benefit to smaller companies too, is something called a skills matrix. In fact, if you'll hit my website, there's one there you can download for free. And what this does is on the on the, the vertical axis, axis on the left, you list your people, and then across the top, you lift the different, list the different skill sets. And then you rank the people based on their demonstrated ability with each of those skills. And when and you can color code that if you want to get fancy with it. But the idea is, is that once you've gone through a really good analysis, you step back and look and say, okay, where do I have a lot of flexibility as far as skills? I've got multiple people who know those skills. It may be fabrication. It might be, uh, you know, doing all the miters on porcelain. It may be your, your saw jet operator or whatever. Um, you know, people who can template and also install, or they can, they can fabricate and they can also template or, or, you know, those, those kind of mixes, see who the most versatile people are, see who the least versatile people are, uh, then take a look at that and say, okay, do I need to do some cross training now to give myself more flexibility when I do have to make a cut, or can I take this skills matrix like it is and use that to help inform some of the decisions I may have to make about who may have to go first if I get there. So that type of analysis now, before you get in the heat of battle, I think is really important. I also think it's important to sit down and put together a specific game plan. What are those benchmarks, those milestones financially? If you're running um, you know, $300,000 a month in sales, just to pick a number, when you get down to 250, is it time to make a cut? Do you, can you wait to 200? Sounds like Dan and, and his company have already made that analysis, but I think it's important to sit down and think through that so that you're not in a position where you've waited too late and now the company is in tougher spot than it really needs to be. So I think that part's important. Um, another aspect of this is making your decisions on what's the severance going to be? Um, how are you going to tell the employee? What are you going to tell them? What do you tell everybody else? And I think it's worthwhile to go sit down and kind of script all this out. Go ahead and make your plans now for what kind of message you want to present, what you want to have out there. And don't forget company property, passwords, keys, cell phones, keys to vehicles, tools, all those types of things. Make yourself a checklist. What are the things, if you're going to, if you have to lay somebody off, what are the things you need to make sure you get done before they get off, before they leave your place for the last time? That's really important. Um, Celio mentioned, kind of referred to California's labor laws. If you don't have somebody on staff who is really up on labor law, HR specialist, go find an HR consultant who can walk you through that because each state's got different laws. And one of the things you don't want to do is get yourself in trouble there. So those are all things to kind of think about. It's a lot to consider, but I really recommend going through this exercise now before you get in the middle of that. Anybody, uh, I know Celio, you said you guys had already done some of that. Um, anybody else who's already done some layoffs or, or who are maybe thinking you may have to plan for some here before too long? Any other thoughts on how to handle this? Drew, have you joined us yet? You got any thoughts? Hey, sorry. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I had a little audio problem earlier. Um, <clears throat> so we're not approaching layoffs. We're still busy. We're in the Charlotte area, and it's still going good, steady. Um, we're even considering bringing on another salesperson right now. So, But it is a good conversation to consider, especially kind of what that break-even point is where, yeah, we got to start laying off and look at drastic cuts. Um, you know, yeah, like everybody agrees, layoff is the last thing you want to do. But, you know, we've been we've been paying attention to our uh, material, how we're using remnants, how we're using our stock materials as best. Um, reconfigure how we do that with our material manager. And then also we've gone back and redo terms with all of our vendors. So we're at least 60 days on, on invoices. Uh, and then also in our AR, working on collections and AR policies and going through that. So 
Um, unfortunately, right now, we're not looking at layoff, but it's good conversation because it's inevitable. You know, at one point, you know, we're going to have to consider, you know, making that move. But I think finding that break-even point kind of um, where that is and then who it is. You know, we have guys that work second shift that are critical, um, you know. So it's a tough discussion, but I think it's a good one to have for sure. Okay. What do you, um, Drew, you're, you said you're in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm in South Carolina. We Our states are the third and fourth fastest growing states in the country right now. With We're behind Texas and Florida. I forget who's one and two. Yeah. But they're, they're the fastest growing ones. What's your uh, what's your forecast for your area? What do you think's uh, coming? What do you what do you think's going to happen the next year or two in your area? So you know, same thing you've been hearing for the last year. It's like, hey, it's gonna it's gonna happen. It's gonna slow down, but the number of people moving into the Charlotte area has not quit. The uh, housing market has come back to a, a decent level. It's not as crazy, but there's still a high demand. So people are still renovating. We're in the you know in the residential remodel. We don't do a lot of commercial. Um, so we're geared towards the upper end of the market and it's, it's nonstop right now. It's, it's wild. Now the builders we talked to, they are seeing a slowdown as far as how many people are calling. Whereas one builder told me they get 12 calls a week at the height. Now they're getting five or six, but you know, before COVID they were getting three or four. So it's still up there, but it has come back to a normal rate. Yeah. And then talking to all the vendors, they're still seeing a ton of people, whether we're doing their business or not, they're seeing, still seeing a lot of people coming in their stores. So um, it, it's busy. We're not seeing a slowdown, but we're looking for it. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, I think in your case, a lot of it's geography too. So that's good. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thank you. Any other thoughts on on the issue of uh, having, of, of preparing for a layoff now before you have to? All right, let's move on to the next one then. Um, dipping into reserve funds. This is kind of the financial piece of things. Um, this is where I think having a written plan is really critical. Uh, having worked on a couple of turnarounds and, and been through challenges like this, if you don't have a plan for how to manage your cash, your lines of credit, uh, that sort of thing, if you don't have specific milestones lined up, it's really, really easy to kind of overshoot your runway, so to speak, to, to all of a sudden have look up one day and you've burned through all of your cash, your lines of credit almost maxed out. And all of a sudden you're headed for a hard landing. And if you don't have a written plan, if you're not tracking those quickly uh, or tracking those regularly, then that's a real risk that you've got. That's the kind of thing that really can kill a business. Um, any of you who know Aaron Crowley, he's the, the no-lift cart guy. He uh, was a fab shop owner. He's got the Fab Lab podcast. And one of his podcasts from, I think, uh, late last year after he sold his business, he had a few podcasts where he talked about that experience. And one of the things he talked about was, um, after that, he talks about that, he talked about going through the recession and some of the challenges he had with, um, some of the covenants he had on his lines of credit. He didn't realize that when his sales got down to a certain level, certain covenants kicked in from the bank on that agreement that he'd forgotten about and didn't realize they were there and really caused him a lot of challenges. So if you're not familiar with that, you've got lines of credit with a lender, really good to go back and review those now before it becomes an issue. Uh, I know I've, I've worked in businesses where the inventory was part of the value of the business. The business was heavily leveraged. When that inventory got down below a certain point, it kicked in payments from the company that had to go back to the bank at a time when the company didn't have any cash. And so that can be a really, really tough challenge. So tracking that uh, at least weekly, staying on top of it once a month is not nearly often enough, I don't think, especially during a downturn. Um so that's that's one of those areas that can really sneak up on you if you're not paying attention to it. Anybody got any experience with uh, managing cash during a downturn like that? It's kind of interesting. I've got uh, I've got of the clients that I have, I would say a large percentage of them either bought or started their business after the Great Recession. So a lot of these folks haven't had to deal with a downturn like this. That's one of the reasons I wrote the article was. In, in working with some of my clients, they hadn't even thought about what this looks like. Uh, so if you know if you if you owned your business or you worked in in the industry and were in a management position during the last recession, you're familiar with a lot of this. But if you weren't in that position during the last one, that's a, it could be a big shock. 
Yeah, I would. I'll speak up. Um, my partner Michael was on the phone originally. We we're working with, and um, and cash management is key. Cash is key, right? And so when you said look at that cash weekly, that's been incredibly important. We didn't just look at the cash weekly. We were on top of and made some changes in accounts, receivable policies. A lot of what you've talked about have been, the things have been implemented. And so I don't think anything's more important than managing and having a cash flow report that's looked at all the time. The owner has to know where that every penny is. And that's, it was a downturn for us for a lot of reasons last year, and that was really a key to keeping the business going and growing. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I talked with some other folks from upstate New York over the last year. It sounds like upstate New York uh, kind of hit a rough patch last year. It did, and, and, and the biggest reason really was during the pandemic, it was impossible to get and, and maintain, it, we, I didn't comment on labor, but it was about having the right labor force. And that has come back. And one of the things that has been really beneficial and positive this year is a really good cross-trained cross team. Good, good. And we lowered, Go ahead. same thing, looked at line by line at the P&L and reduced expenses everywhere that could be reduced. And, and the year came in well, and this year is looking good. One last thing is, a lot of the business was based on new builds, so you guys in the Carolinas are lucky. That's going to change here. So the marketing strategy is moving to really putting in a really good social media plan to talk to end, end users and start working with realtors more and end users and less with contractors. Okay, so you guys are going to focus more on retail and less on B2B then. The B2B walks in the door because it's a small town and the company has a great reputation. So the contractors know and they come in. We don't have to do a lot of marketing. But there's never been a lot of marketing to the direct to the consumer. And there's a, a, a real shortage in inventory of property to sell even. So the building is going to the build the building is going to start slowing down new builds, and so we really need to work at those people coming in, paying cash for homes because we're near Cornell University. There's a demand for homes, but and upgrading the homes. So it's really about communicating and bringing those direct consumer business to consumer um, strategy. Yeah, I think you're right, and that kind of leads into our our next topic, which is tracking leading indicators. Um, you know, I've had a lot of folks say, well, you know, new, new starts are down, but remodels are, are going to be up. And I kind of wonder about that because I, you know, a lot of folks I know did their remodels during shutdown. Uh, but what you're saying, I think is that you've got there because of a, a shortage of housing available in certain areas that people moving into the area may be wanting to upgrade those houses. So there may still be some remodel activity in that area. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Yeah, and also, um, having talked to a number of realtors, people are going to have to settle for less than their ideal purchase. And so they're actually marketing businesses um, that aren't the ideal or properties that aren't the ideal property and encouraging the buyers to uh, buy something less than and then remodel and spend more money on upgrading because what they want is not available. Yeah, and if you're in an area where that's happening, that's great. Um, I, I would imagine in urban areas, probably not as much of that, but in more rural areas, you're probably seeing more of that just in general. And since you guys are in a small town, that may be what's part of what's driving yours, plus your proximity to, to a university. Correct. Okay. So as we talk about leading indicators, and I think, um, I think maybe it was Drew that was talking a little bit about uh, what he's seeing in Charlotte. I know in South Carolina, we've got uh, between 200 and 400 people a day moving into the state. And North Carolina is larger than we are. So you're, you guys maybe even have even more coming in um, up in Charlotte, North Carolina. But these leading indicators, I think, are really key. Um, obviously, you know, obvious things that, that a fab shop would look at is the conversion rate because quotes are a leading indicator for sales, obviously. But I don't see a lot of shops that are tracking that conversion rate and they're actually graphing it, uh, both tracking the dollars and the number of orders. Um, and so the thing, I, the thing I mentioned in the article is, you know, if you're graphing this and your conversion rate is going down, 
the number of orders, percent of orders is going down, but your dollars is staying steady. What's that tell you about what's happening to your business? Nobody wants to take a chance on that one, huh? As you watch your conversion, go ahead. You repeat that the business remains steady, right? But your your quote level is going down. Well, if your quote, if your number of quotes is going down, but if your quote dollars is staying steady, in other words, the conversion rate on order quantity is down, but the conversion rate on dollar quantity is steady. While you're doing larger jobs, your pricing is going up. You're doing a better job at pricing. Um, perhaps your conversion rate is going up if the dollar rate's the same, but number of quotes are lower. You have a higher close rate or you have, you know, you've done some nice price increases. <laughs> Absolutely. I was talking with, with a, a, a fabricator back in December that was just really, um, really concerned about their their total volume, just their level of activity, the, the showroom traffic, the number of quotes. And we started looking at this data, the, the conversion rate on number of orders and conversion rate on dollars. And they had exactly that scenario where the number of quotes was going down and the conversion on the quotes was going down but their dollar value was staying the same. And what had happened was and they, they kind of knew this, but just didn't really recognize it. But by graphing it, look at the data, they could see evidence that the, the average size of job that they were running versus what they had been in the, earlier in the year, those jobs were getting larger. And so that, that had a big impact on how they made decisions in the company. And obviously, if you had a scenario where your conversion rates going down, your number of orders is going down and your dollars are going down, that's a leading indicator that tells you you may have a big problem coming, right? Well, yeah. And the other thing I think that's important working with the sales team is we worked on upselling and, you know, just add-ons to a sale. And also, you know, it's easy for salespeople to throw out quotes, but they can waste a lot of time if the, pro if the person walking in isn't well qualified. Sometimes, you know, looking at who the ideal client is and, and just not throwing out a quote, but qualifying them better saves a lot of the salesperson's time. And that can increase the whole um, close rate also. And also the price per, and also the dollar volume. If, if you have people that are well enough trained to go out and you go out and template, and not only are you templating for what they request, but what else are you looking at in the future? Make sure you template that and then get that into your pipeline. Definitely. And so um, tracking this data is really key. And then having a sales process is important. And that's part of what we'll talk about next month is the sales process. But having something that's defined, uh, um, having a script, not that somebody's going to read it robotically and quote it word for word, but having things in your sales process like qualifying your prospect, make sure that if you're going to spend time with them, uh, that they're actually somebody who might buy from you. Um, as you look at leading indicators, uh, how many of you use a, a, a CRM, uh, a customer relation manager piece of software? Celio, do you guys use one? We don't. Okay. Uh, we, Dan, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say here, a, a cautionary tale. We have one available. Using a CRM, uh, salespeople need to be very well trained because garbage in, garbage out. And it's easy to get a CRM really messed up. So um, we have it available and we're moving toward using that, but haven't used it yet. <laughs> which which one do you have? It's actually av it's available with SPS. We use SPS because we also sell tile. Stone Profit Systems. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Um, Dan, I know you've got a sales background from a previous life. Do you guys use a CRM? No, we haven't. We haven't made the jump to using one yet. Um, I think it's something in our future, but uh, we haven't done it yet just because um, um, I think I think I see great benefit in it, but I don't know that our team would be bought into it quite yet. And as a result, I'm not going to push that onto them. So it's a um, I don't think we're ready to move into that world yet, but know that we need to. Yeah, understand. And, and the comment we got earlier about the fact people really need to be trained well and the process needs to be managed. Um, you know, one of the things I like about the, the CRMs that are out now is that it's not just tracking, you know, quoting process, quote volume, quote to order conversion rate, dollars, that sort of thing. Um, you can also start to track salesperson performance. 
who's responding to quote requests within the time frame that you've established, who's really and truly doing a good job of following up on those quotes. Hopefully you've got a, a predetermined sequence of two emails and a phone call, two phone calls and an email. We space those two days apart, you know, whatever your normal sequence is. And it won't be, that won't happen for every quote, but there needs to be some structure around that. You can track all that with a CRM. And one of the things I really like about them is that those of you who are doing social media marketing, uh, doing Facebook ads, doing Google ads, you can start to track that social media engagement. You can start to track your website traffic. And that gives you an even earlier leading indicator for what quotes may be. And so CRMs can kind of help pull that together. And, and a true CRM um, can give you some good data around that, even give you some good dashboarding capability. So I think that's worth looking at uh, just as an additional tool to use. An additional, yeah. sorry. Uh, this is Kelly. Hey, um, no. no, a quick comment on that one. Uh, we do business to business only. And one, uh, we have a hard time getting a, a lot of times we get a hard time getting a response from the GC if we're getting awarded or not which makes it really hard to track our conversion rate, right? Uh, so a lot of them give us no's, yes or no's, but a lot of them we just don't hear back. And of course, that's after, cert after a certain time, we mark as a no. But if anyone has any <laughs> suggestion on that, it would be very helpful. Anybody got any thoughts that deals with uh, GCs or B2B side? Who else is doing commercial work that's got a thought on how to uh, how to get an answer back from a GC? Well, uh, like I said, I work with a lot of uh, GC and builders um, uh, and some of the commercial projects too. Uh, well, I know basically, let's say, number of accounts that I know for certain that all the jobs go to us. So whenever, you know, there is a job that's coming in, uh, like I already know that we're going to get this job because they only work with us as a fabricator. And some of the projects that, um, like you said, maybe you don't know or you don't get the answer from them, you know, I just try to like call them or send them a follow-up email like, hey, you know, do you need anything else? Like, did you get the quote? Like, do you need any updates? And so what, and sometimes it, it did help me to basically, you know, pull the project uh, towards us uh, because I was just communicating with them back and forth. And I guess for some people, it could be valuable. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that, Victor. Um, this may be a good topic to kind of kind of uh, kick over to our half-hour follow-up because we're getting close to the top of the hour. Um, one resource that's out there you may want to look at is a guy named Justin Shaw. He's at Stone Fabricator Elite. And he specializes a lot in the B2B relationship, and he's got some really good techniques for that. So you may want to give him a call. And I know he's got some uh, sales webinars coming up with ISFA, if you're an ISFA member. Be worth checking that out or just giving him a call because he does some webinars as well. Um, another leading indicator I mentioned really quick that I think is worthwhile is going to your Home Builder Association meetings. I know that fabricators typically don't go because you don't get any work there. But if you're dealing with contractors, they're going to be contractors in those meetings. It may not be your contractors, but you can go in and have conversations like, so how many homes did you start last year? How many homes do you plan to start this year? What do you think the end of this year looks like? You can get start picking their brain on what that on what other companies that are like your customers, you can pick their brain on what they're seeing and what they're forecasting. Uh, and then also, too, don't forget talking to your customers, going asking them for what they see coming at them as far as volume this year, what their plans are and what kind of trends they're watching. Every state has got a Department of Commerce. Uh, there's a lot of information there that's going to be available. Every state's got some form of economic development. Sometimes it sits under commerce. Sometimes it's a separate uh, nonprofit type organization that works with commerce. Your economic development people will know who's moving into your area, who's moving out. Are they likely to hire a lot of blue-collar type labor? Are they going to hire a lot more office type labor? Gives you a good idea of some of these dynamics we're talking about. So those leading indicators, I think, are really important 
so that you've got your finger on the pulse of what's coming at you in your geographic area, because that's a really, really key part. The, um, the companies that I see, the fabricators I see that do a really good job of managing their businesses, they're doing that look ahead so that they have some idea of what's coming at them so they can plan for it. Um, about ready to wrap this up at the top of the hour. Our next article is titled How to Close Every Prospect. It uh, focuses on the on the concept that salespeople are made, not born. We'll talk about how to close the sale before you even quote. And we'll look at that from a B2B side and a B2C side. Um, I think it's important for us to understand and to acknowledge that our businesses are running exactly the way that we've designed them to run. So if you're not happy with how your business is running, I do offer a free customized assessment. Um, hit the um, hit the hit the website fabricatorscoach.com and press that button and schedule a call. Then we'll set up a time and, and talk through that. We've got some things coming up. You may want to be keep your ears out for one is a sales mastery class uh, once a week, fixed fee, low price per month for the company. A uh, really good uh, sales training class from a from a master sales trainer. Uh, we've got an owner's mastermind. If you're interested in the sales class, email me and I'll get you set up with a free introductory session. Got an owner's mastermind coming up in a few months. We're still working on it. If you're interested in that, let me know. But I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your St. Patrick's Day. I hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend. And like I said, I'll leave this open for another 30 minutes or so if anybody wants to hang around and, and has any questions. So thanks. And I hope you folks have a great weekend. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, everyone. Yep, thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.